Only two people showed up an hour early, so that means most of us, good job changing your clocks. We're lucky now with our cell phones, it does it on, on its own. So uh, this morning I woke up and I looked over at the clock and Callie had changed it, but I didn't think she had. And so I looked at it and I'm like, oh, yay. You know, you know that feeling where it says 4.30, but you know it's 3.30. Um, and then I grabbed my phone and she had changed it. So I didn't have that extra hour, I thought. Um, anyway, let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much um, that it is finished. God, that, that phrase, Jesus, when you were on the cross, you said, it is finished. That is so loaded. It is finished. You did all the work necessary. And we live our lives and humanity. We've always lived trying to figure out how to be right with God or what does this life look like, how to live it. And you answered that right there. It is finished. You did everything necessary. So all we have to do is turn to you in faith. I thank you. Thank you that I don't have to be good enough. Thank you that you don't weigh my good and my bad because I think I would lose out on that deal. Um, but it is finished because Jesus, you did what we couldn't do. Uh, you died the death that we deserved so that we could live the life we don't deserve forever with you. We love you. Holy Spirit, be here with us. Um, do what you want to do in our hearts and in our minds. If you're not here, we're wasting our time. God, this isn't just a, a show. This isn't just a game. We really want to meet with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as, uh, as you heard in the passage this morning, we're going to be in Colossians. So turn there, if you would, Colossians. Uh, it was a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, um, where I, had, I was thinking about the idea of discipleship. So we, we talk a lot about the Great Commission found in Matthew, where Jesus, some of his last words, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So he, he gave them this final instruction, go make disciples. And I was thinking a lot about what does that mean to go make disciples? Because if you're like me, maybe you've had a lot of experience with church, maybe only a little bit. And it's kind of like, well, what are we doing here? You come on Sunday, you go to church because you're supposed to. Um, and if you're really good in your good old Baptist tradition, you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and you got all these things, but what's the point of doing all of this? Well, as I was thinking about discipleship, I, uh, I called uh, a, a man who was going to turn out to really be a, a mentor in my life. Uh, maybe you know him, Bob Burroughs. Um, and Bob, I called Bob and he had recently moved back to Reno. And I said, will you meet with me each week? Um, because although I had been discipled by many people, you know, I had many mentors in my life that had dug into me. I never really had like a one-on-one, -on -one, we're going to commit to this. And so he said, I'd love to. And the first time we met, he opened up to this passage and he read a verse that really would, would change the way I viewed discipleship. And it's Colossians 1.28 says this, this is Paul writing. He says, him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so as Bob and I sat there and we looked at that, we said, what's the point of this? Is it to know more? Is it to be moral? The goal found in Colossians 1.28, why do we do all this stuff? The goal is maturity. The goal is growth, and that verse has since then really become pivotal in my life for me personally, but also all around this, what Paul talks about maturity and how we play a part in that. Uh, it's very important to see the goal is maturity. So let's look at these verses, and let's see 
the goal. And let's see, there's a mystery. This is going to be kind of fun. There's a lot in these verses. If you were listening to Paul read them, you probably thought, how's he going to cover all that? Well, don't worry. We're going to cover all that. Um, But we're going to narrow in. And really, here's the big idea. The goal, the goal of discipleship is the maturity of everyone. The goal. So look at verse 28. It's not the maturity of a couple, the maturity of everyone. Um, If you, uh, if you've been around very long, you've been involved with organizations, it's helpful to define the win. You know, what's the goal? Why are we doing what we're doing? And so this is, I like the phrase to define the win. What's the win? How do we know we're doing as a church what we're supposed to do? Or how you as a Christian are doing what you're supposed to do? There's a goal out there. And that goal, again, is maturity. And so I've titled this message, It's Time to Grow Up. Because I think that's, that's a, a way Paul puts it elsewhere And I think that's on Paul's mind. Hey, you know what? It's time to grow up. You can be a 70-year-old who has been a Christian for 50 years, and you can still be immature. Or you can be a 13-year-old, a Christian for only a few years, and be mature. But that's the goal. So let's look at this. Look at the goal. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I think it's important to look here uh, how we we do maturity, how we we do part of this, um, and that it's a process that we go through. And it's possible, like I said, to be old and not mature. 1 Corinthians 3, same author, Paul, he writes this to that church. It says, and I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to me of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able yet to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? This is a, what if we got a letter? common ground, <laughs> from, from an apostle and said this, you guys should be grown up by now, but you're not. You're still, inf-. he calls them infants. Infants. He said, I gave you milk because you weren't ready for meat and you're still not ready for meat. He's talking about spiritual truth. They weren't ready to move past. And why are they immature in 1 Corinthians? Since there is jealousy and strife among you. Because of their selfishness and their disunity, he says, you're immature. I think that's interesting. Disunity in the church is proof of immaturity on somewhere in it. And so if we want to be mature, that's one of those signs. How are we getting along with fellow believers? But we want to be mature in Hebrews 5.12, the author, some think is the same author, Paul. We're not sure. He says something very similar. He says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Again, ouch. (laughs) He said, you've been a Christian so long, you should be able to teach this stuff to others, but instead you don't even get it. You don't get it and you're living your life your own way. Grow up. He says, grow up so that you can be teaching others. We need to define maturity. I think this is kind of a fun verse. It's a fun word, actually, maturity. Does anybody in your Bible have a different word for maturity? In verse 28, perfect, yeah, perfect. So the goal is to be perfect, interesting. Now, we have to understand what that means because that can be deceiving. So the goal is perfection, which actually the goal is perfection. But we also need to realize that in this life, we're not going to be 
perfect in that sense, but we can be perfect in the sense that they're using this verse. So in this, this word, the Greek word is teleos. What does that sound like? Telescope. So it's kind of interesting. The goal is to be mature like a telescope. And that's why they use telescope because I don't know if you've ever used a telescope, um, fellow pirates out there, but the way I didn't even know how they worked until I bought this. But, um, so if I want to zoom in on something close, like Lydia, uh, too close. I don't know. Uh, but you, you zoom in by pulling it out like this. You it doesn't, it doesn't twist. It's like this. And so the further out I want to look, the further out I, fu- I pull the telescope and I can see Heather really well coming in the door now with his telescope. <laughs> or I can look back there at, at Mark and try and zoom in. That's the idea of mature, going through a process to complete your purpose. Do you get that? So the goal of the telescope is not to stay like this. The goal of the telescope is to be able to see as far as you can fully extended. So for you and I, what's that? Think about that concept in our life is if the goal is maturity, the goal is this, where do we start? We all start here. So if you're like me, maybe you're frustrated by the process. You want to just be perfect. <laughs> you want to just be mature. You want to have that, that loving response every time. You want to desire the right things all the time. You want to hate sin the way God hates sin. But then you look at yourself and you're like, I just don't. I don't often hate sin the way God hates sin. I wish I did. Well, guess what? Let me give you a little bit of comfort. It's a process. But you can become a Christian at eight years old and you can be a 35 year old and still be like this. But there's a process and this word maturity too, the idea of going through a process to complete your purpose. What if God made you for a reason? Whoa. What if God has a plan for you, something for you to do unique that nobody else can do, only you? I think that's the case for each of us. But I think we also have the choice. Are we gonna submit to the process and be what God wants us to be or not? Are we fine just staying like this and maybe doing churchy things? This verse changed everything for me because it made me stop looking at church as a service. You know, we talk about church planting. We wanna plant churches, but we don't wanna plant just church services where you go and you sing and, and, and you listen to somebody blab for a while. We want growth. We want maturity. There's a purpose in all of this. And it is that you and I will be mature. We will fulfill our, our purpose. And let me tell you this, when you are fulfilling your purpose or maturing, it's a place of comfort. You know, it's not a place of peace all the time. You know what I mean? People are going to come at you. We'll see this, but it's a place of joy because you know what you're doing. It's a a place of peace of an inner peace, even though outside things might not be going all that great. Um, and it's actually a lot of fun. So, back to Colossians. A mature Christian, so we're defining the maturity here. We know the goal is maturity. What's maturity? A mature Christian is a person with full-grown Christian character who is carrying out their intended purpose inside and outside the church. I think that's very important. Our purpose isn't just to be good Christians inside the church. There's a purpose for us outside the church. That's why here at Common Ground, we do Sunday and we do groups and we try not to do a lot else so that you can be involved in your community. You can be involved with your neighbors at work, whatever it is, you can be involved with God's purpose outside the church. 
And look here, look at this, we're really hanging on to the same verse, but the goal is to present. I think that's kind of interesting. He says, uh, we, him re- we proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's talking about himself here, that in the end, he is going to present people to Christ, the goal as mature. So that would be like me, maybe with, with some of you that I'm close to or whatever, that in the end, I'm going to be able to go, I'm presenting a, a person to you, Jesus, as mature because I've dug into that person. I think my kids, you know, here's Lydia right here. Ideally later, there's gonna be kind of this, I'm presenting Lydia to Jesus as mature. I did everything I could to help her be mature. But when does that presenting take place? When Jesus returns. The point is, this is going to be a process until Jesus comes back or until we die and we're with him. So we understand that this is a process ongoing. Even Paul said, I haven't arrived. I've never arrived. And I think that's important. But we are moving toward maturity. This process of maturation will not be completed until the return of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is talking about himself. He says, I labor for your maturity. Look at verse 24 now. We're going to look around verse 28, that one I like so much. Paul writes, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Do you guys ever do that? Rejoice in your sufferings? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What does Paul say here? He says, I'm a steward of of some knowledge that God has given me for you. And he says, I labor. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, this is confusing. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Is there anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? We just sang a song, it is finished. This can sound, if we read it incorrectly, like we need to work, we need to suffer to complete what he didn't complete. But we need to understand this correctly. Jesus, when he was on the cross, it is finished. Done, that work is done. But now there is some suffering that continues in his body, the church, us. This word, suffering here, is never referred to Jesus on the cross, ever but it is used in reference to Jesus suffering on his way to the cross. Interesting. So you and I, part of our purpose is to suffer like Jesus suffered. So how did Jesus suffer before being nailed to the cross? He was maligned. He was slandered. He was beaten. He was spit upon. Those are the things that we should be willing to endure for, what's he say? For the maturity of others. I think this is important. A maturing Christian is helping others mature. That's part of it. As you are maturing, you're helping others mature and you're gonna suffer for it. You're gonna suffer for it. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. Says this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It's a lot easier just to be silent about your faith, isn't it? Maybe you've gone to school. Maybe you're going to school right now. It's a lot easier just to not talk about God. Because if you do, guess what? You might suffer for it. You might get persecuted for it. Or I think a lot of this suffering too is as you own this, as you are new in Christ and you want to help others, you're going to suffer in that because it's hard. Digging into other people to help them mature, it's hard work. And a lot of times you fail because the other person has a part in it. 
And so there's suffering. I mean, some of us are parents here. You ever been a parent and had your kid not do everything just right? Parents don't look at your kid if they're sitting next to you. <laughs> there's some snuggling happening, some kids looking like this. But we labor for our kids. We want to present them mature. We want them to be independent, right? That's our goal. Our goal is not to raise up and have a 30-year-old living in our basement, really good at Nintendo, or what is it, Xbox now. Um, but they can't hold down a job. They can't relate to people. The goal, no, Brendan, the goal is for you to move out. <laughs> Brendan's over there nodding. That sounds good. No, the goal for, for us is to get our kids trained, which means teaching them and then setting them loose some and, and watching them fall on their face and then helping pick them up and show them how to do that better and send them out again and watch them crash the car into the tree. You know, it's, there's a process. What we could do is go, you're, you're never leaving the house. You, you never get your license and we just protect them. And then they're not going to grow. They're not going to mature but it's work. It's work to put them out there, to let them live, to help them with it. It's the same way within the church. If you are going to help others mature, it's going to be hard because you're going to spend years digging into somebody only for them to just walk away from Christ. You know, I've had that experience many times, meeting weekly with somebody only to see them go, you know what? I just reject it. You know, I'm just going to abandon my family. I'm gonna, I mean, just the things that people do, if you're digging and you care about them, it breaks your heart. It is so much easier in church for us for, to do this. I'm just going to teach you the Bible and then walk away, you know, and then you guys handle it. It's a lot harder if I'm going to enter into life with you and care about you and then you stumble. That hurts me. And you've experienced it as you dig into others. But you know what? That's part of it. That's part of it. Paul says it there in verse 24, but then he also says it in verse 20, or 2, 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who, at, who are at Laodicea. He struggles. Do you struggle for others' maturity? Your own maturity is going to be stunted if you don't. Your own maturity will be stunted if you don't. This is in your notes, if you're a note taker, those willing to help make mature disciples will work hard and suffer for it and suffer for it. But now how? Okay, so here's the goal. We, we define the win. It's maturity, not just our own for that of others. We know it's going to be hard work to do it, but it's worth it. But then how do we do it? Paul says he's a steward. Did you see that? He's a steward, meaning he's holding something that belongs to somebody else. And he's going to talk about a mystery, a mystery. He says this in verse 26, the mystery, let me, let me start in verse 25. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, to make the word of God, the Bible, the, the gospel fully known to you. 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. There's a mystery. So there's a secret that we need to know if we want to be mature, there's a secret. I'm not going to tell you what it is. The mystery. What is a mystery? It is not something hidden, not to be discovered. A mystery is something previously unknown. Biblically, the New Testament scriptures, a mystery is something previously unknown that's now revealed. Something mainly in the Old Testament that they didn't know, but now can be known. And what is that mystery, that key to our maturity and the maturity of others? Verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that Jesus Christ indwells every believer, even Gentiles. So most of us here are probably Gentiles. Even us, not just Jews. That's the mystery that Jesus indwells you. This is so exciting for me because what are the great questions? And we're going to cover this in coming weeks, but what are the questions that people have asked since the dawn of time? Where'd we come from? Where are we going? You you know, uh, are we created evolution? How did we get here? Is there a God? If there is, what does he need from us? And, And how do we relate to him? All those things that have now been, what if, What if God showed up and said, I'm going to tell you the answer to all of that stuff. All those questions you have. What if God came and not just other people saying, I think God's like this, but what if God showed up and said, Hey, I'm like this. Here's the mystery. Well, he did. He did in Jesus Christ. He showed up and here's the mystery. Not just that you're saved through Jesus on the cross. We saw this the last two weeks. Uh, Alex talked about it last week. Awesome job. The week before we looked at that also. Jesus on the cross forgave us, but now, yeah, we're forgiven. Now we can go to heaven, but now we live on that same gospel. We live Christ in you, the hope of glory. There were hints of this in the Old Testament. There were hints. In the Old Testament, people did relate to God, and God wanted the same thing for people in the Old Testament forever as he does now. He wants close, intimate relationship with people. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) he's always, he made you so that he could love you. God didn't make you because he needed anything. God made you so he could love you so that you could be in relationship with him. And so all through the old Testament, the way people had this relationship with God was through the law. They would sacrifice, they would uh, observe certain feasts and Sabbaths. And so they did all these things to be in relationship with God, but it was never, it was never good enough. It was an outside law saying, do these things. And they wanted to do those things, but they couldn't do those things. The 10 commandments and all the other list of commandments. Things are different now. Let me look at Jeremiah 31. He, He promised a time to come. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers and the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor. And each man, his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. He was looking forward to a day and they didn't understand. This was the mystery. They had glimpses, but they didn't fully get it. Even the angels, by the way, didn't fully get it. They're watching now going, wow, that's amazing that now he will, he says there in verse 33, I will put my law within them. So it's no longer an exterior law. Follow these rules. It's now within you. So if you are a true believer, that means Jesus has come to dwell in you and he changes the things that you want. You desire new things and you have the power to carry them out in him. We're going to cover that more over the next couple of weeks. There's still a wrestle with that in there though. <laughs> if you're like me, you hear that and you're like, yeah, but I still mess up. Well, guess what? You're like a telescope. You're in process. You're maturing. But the mystery is that it's Jesus in you. 
Him we proclaim, verse 28. So we're still talking about now, how do we do this? How do we help mature others? In verse 28, he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now remember in, in the Colossian church, they were having false teachers come in and they were saying, Jesus isn't enough. You need some other things too. You need to listen to Oprah. She'll give you some good advice. Uh, they were saying, you listen to Dr. Phil or go to a psychologist and see what they have to say. Um, no, they didn't have Oprah back then. Um, but they were, they had other things, mysticism, pray to angels, all these things. They said, you need, Jesus is okay, but you need more. Paul's saying here, no, Jesus is enough. Him we proclaim, teaching all wisdom and knowledge is found in him. So we point to Jesus and we point to the mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. So you want to be mature? Here's how you do it. Look to Jesus. I like this illustration. Sometimes I'll use it in discipleship of we've got life going, right? And all these things going on. We've got soccer. We've got uh, work. We've got our kids. We've got money issues. We've got employee issues, employer issues. We've just got stuff, right? All these things, a neighbor, leaves coming into our yard, whatever it is. All this stuff going on. And we can look at all these circumstances and get stressed out, get anxious, get worried, have to take some pills for it. We, you know, all this. Or if we want to be maturing, we can stare at Jesus. That's what he says, him we proclaim. Look to Jesus. And by the way, he dwells in you. So he, he's given you everything you need to get through all this. Look to Jesus. And if you're, I mean, picture, stare at something. Stare at the, the communion thing here and focus on it. What, everything around it is fuzzy, right? Because you're focusing on that. Or if you look at everything around it, guess what? That's not in focus. And so the goal here, how do we mature? We gaze at Jesus all the time. And then everything else is a little bit fuzzy. That's how you mature, by looking to Jesus. How do you help others mature? You point to Jesus. And, and you gotta be, so a couple months ago, when Brendan was still in the house and he was talking about something going on in life, I said, well, you know the answer. He's like, yeah, I know what you're gonna tell me, Jesus. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, you can't just say Jesus, Jesus, but, but that is the answer. You're stressed. Your, your marriage is not working out. Well, guess what? You, Jesus, stop looking at each other, gaze at Jesus, and then you're free to be with each other. So I kind of picture it this way. If I'm helping somebody else, if I'm laboring, suffering for somebody else's maturity, basically here's what is going to entail me with my arm around their shoulder going like that. That's what we do. We point to Jesus. It's not all these other details, although other strategies and stuff help as we're staring at Jesus. Now let's work on, you know, some of these other things. But if we take off our eyes off Jesus, we're going to make the mistake every time. And so how do you help others mature? Put your arm around and point to Jesus. My marriage is struggling. She's not doing what I want her to do. Well, guess what? Get your eyes off of her and look to Jesus. And now you can be the husband God wants you to be. And then hopefully she'll get her eyes off of you because you're not doing it all right. And she'll gaze at Jesus. And now you together can gaze at Jesus shoulder to shoulder. Do you get what that means? But guess what? That's a lot of work. Because if you're like me, you don't perfectly gaze at Jesus all the time. And so when your kid or the person you're digging into to help mature, maybe they need to gaze at Jesus and you have to recenter yourself to gaze at Jesus and then take them and point them that direction. Do you get the point? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
Philippians 2.13 says this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is the mystery. Because if you're like me, you hear this, maturity, I want to be mature. I do. I want to love the way Jesus loves. I want everything about me to be just like Jesus. But yet I fall short. Because we have a tendency, this runs contrary to our flesh. Our fl when the Bible talks about flesh, the NIV translates that sinful nature. It means the part of you apart from God. It means you in your body, the way your brain works, the way your body wants things, that's your flesh. And so you can walk in your flesh or you can walk in the spirit. But what he's talking about here is that God is working in you. He gives you new desires. He's working in you to desire and to do. So he helps me understand what, what to do. I, I want to do that. But then we have a tendency to do our best to go do it. And a lot of times that's what we hear in church. We hear, you're saved, now go be good. Now go work hard. And we can be at risk at that here at Common Ground because our goal is to impact the city. And so you probably hear me all the time going, go see your name, you know, get out and do. Make a difference in this city and point people to Jesus. But if you're like me, the tendency can go, that sounds great. And then you run off and do it and you leave Jesus back here. So the picture is, is of a, like a concert pianist. Um, so Callie's a great piano player, uh, like Flight of the Bumblebee. Do you know that one? It's great. Um, you can't play it anymore? Oh, that's too bad. Work on that. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's like Callie's sitting there doing Flight of the Bumblebee. And I'm watching. I'm like, I can do that. You know? And so she's doing a great job playing this awesome music. And I sit down and start scooching her over. And I try and take over. Well, pretty soon it's going to be really apparent I can't do that. And I need to go, okay, you just do it. It's the same with our lives with Christ. We get on that seat and he's playing this beautiful orchestra of Jesus's life in you, carried out in the world around you. Jesus wants to live in and through you. And then you, if you're like me, you go, yeah, I can take it over. And you're like doing chopsticks. And eventually you just have to go, I just can't do it. And you scoot over and you let Jesus have that whole seat and let him play. That's the mystery. Do we fully get it? Hopefully we're in the process of fully getting it. And we're working through understanding how to do it, how to let God have control of this part of my life and this part of my life, all of it. But it's all about Jesus in and through you. Now, in chapter two, he moves on. So he talks about the mystery, Christ in you. The goal is maturity. But then he gives us a picture of what it looks like. Let me, let me warn you real quick. The danger of seeing that is that then you go try and do that. Just like in Galatians, you see the fruit of the spirit. What are the fruit? It says the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I miss any? Well, that's the fruit of the spirit. That's what comes out when you're walking with Jesus. We have a tendency to take that list and go, okay, I'm going to work on love today. Or I'm going to work on joy or peace. I lack peace. so I'm going to work on that one. The fruit of the spirit, it's not fruits of the spirit. It's all of them. And the goal isn't for us to go work on them. The goal is for us to go to Jesus and he makes those things happen in us. It's the same thing here. The mystery is Jesus in you. And so here's the result when Jesus is in you and he's the one in control. Verse two, Colossians 2, 2. Um, so he's praying for those at Colossae and at Laodicea, which is a city nearby. And, and he, he's asking this, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first thing we see there, unity. Unity, that their hearts would be knit together in love. I love that picture. And that is our desire for this church here at Common Ground. The desire is that we will be knit together in love going in the same direction. And as we go, we've talked about the, the, the dance of the porcupine. <laughs> as we go together trying to do what God wants to do through us, we're going to prick each other sometimes because we're not perfect. But maturity is, you can get over those things. Maturity is getting along. Maturity is unity. But again, God makes that in us. We don't try and make that happen. We work on it, but we work on it, Jesus in us, always independence. So that's the first one, unity, knit together in love, pursuing the same goal. Uh, that's one of the things we say here often, it's not about me. It's not about me. So you're having trouble with somebody else? Well, guess what? It's not about you. I'm not getting what I want. The coffee's not good enough for me. Well, guess what? It's not about you. Um, but let's work on the coffee so that it is about the other person and we want them to have good coffee. <laughs> but it's not about me. What's the other thing we see though? Full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The maturing person is going to grow in their understanding of this mystery. You're going to be growing in letting Jesus, because he's already in you, letting him be in control. And you'll have this full assurance. So it's all assurance, knowledge, and wisdom found in Christ alone. Here's what he's trying to say here. Because these false teachers are coming in saying, Jesus plus these things. He's saying, no, the maturing Christian will see Jesus alone. I don't need these other things. I need Jesus alone. And everything else is going to be compared to him. Maybe some other things can help. But if they run contrary to Jesus, they're gone, out. Jesus alone, that's a sign of maturity. And then the last one, he says in verse four, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He said it in the verse before, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mature Christian is gonna be secure that all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ, and so the maturing Christian is going to go to the Bible, not Time Magazine or whatever, the Bible, letting Jesus do it in and through us, and we won't be won over by false doctrine. As you get to know the Bible and you get to know Jesus, when you hear something false, you recognize it. We've talked about this before, that, that you know, kind of like uh, the, the government officials trying to find counterfeit money, they spend most of their time studying the original so that they can quickly recognize the fakes. Same with us. We study Jesus. We get to know Jesus in us so that when the fake pops up, we recognize it. And that's what he's asking them to do. That's what he's desiring for them because many false teachers are coming in going, Jesus is great, but that too, that too, that too. And some are getting confused. You know, they're, they're kind of like they're out on a boat and the waves are coming and the winds are going. They're like, we don't know which way to go. The maturing Christian is going to be secure and confident. Even if they don't fully understand, they'll, they'll still recognize something's off and I'm gonna go to Jesus for the answers. So we won't be won over by false doctrine. This is the goal, maturity. The way to mature is the mystery, Christ in you. So here it is. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time for us to decide we want to be this, not just this. And remember, it's often the best way to grow is to, to teach others, 
to help others grow. The, the best way to learn is to teach others. And so we are responsible for others' maturity. And, and we want them to grow like a parent with a child. That's why we focus so much on groups because we get together in groups and we share life and we look at the Bible and we can correct each other and we can help each other and encourage each other so that we become more and more mature and useful. Because the whole point of this isn't to look pretty on the wall. Well, maybe this one is. But the point is to use it. The point is to use it, to, to use it, fully extended for its full purpose. Same with us. And the way we get there is by pointing to Jesus, looking to Jesus, and understanding that it's him in and through us, not us doing our best for him. Let me pray, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is finished. Thank you that it's about you. It's not about me. Thank you that you've given us everything we need to walk the way you would have us walk. Jesus, you've chosen to dwell in me. And that is so humbling because I know me. And I wouldn't want to be in there if I were you. But you love me enough. <laughs> and I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we, uh, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to do what you told us to do. We're going to take the bread and the cup in remembrance of you until you come again, because it's all about you. If we have problems, and we do, we have to turn to you. If others have problems, and they do, our job is to point them to you lovingly, graciously, gently, boldly, to point to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Often when we do this, I'll, I'll read a, another passage of scripture to lead us into it, but there's no better passage than what we just looked at. So the Lord's Supper, here's the way we do it. While they sing, we're going to get up as you feel led, as you're ready, get up, walk down the aisle. There's some here and some here. Take the bread, take the cup. You can either take it back to your seat and take it there. You can step over to a corner and take it there. You can pray with whoever's with you. Do whatever you want. Maybe spend a minute there praying before you get up to take it. Maybe ask the Spirit to show you what He wants you to do with this knowledge. What does He want to do in you through this? And let Him speak to you. And then get up and with thanksgiving, take the bread and the cup, remembering what He did for you. He lives in you, and that's possible because of what He did on the cross. And the Bible says that we do this as often as we do it in remembrance of Jesus until He comes again, because He's coming again. This process of maturing, it's going to end. Praise the Lord. He's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to reconcile everything to him and it's going to be perfect. But until then, we can't just sit on our seats waiting. We want to continue to grow in him, but we do it in thanksgiving. And so this, this is our verse as we take the Lord's Supper. It's the mystery. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you, fellow believer, which gives you the hope in eternal glory. It means that you are gonna be with him forever. It gives me chills. You're gonna get a new body. No pain, no sickness, no death, no more sin. That sin that's in you that you hate, guess what? It's gonna be gone. That's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you're here and you, uh, you have not given your life to Jesus, you have not surrendered to him. You have not said, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. You died for me and you rose again. Don't take the Lord's Supper. But I'm gonna be over there in that corner. And if you wanna do it, come talk to me 
And you can give your life to Christ right now. And then you can take the Lord's Supper and celebrate what he's done in you. Let me pray. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Jesus, again, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you don't measure my good and my bad. Thank you that it's about you. And Jesus, I ask, I beg that you would live in us effectively, boldly, that we would be your representatives to this world. We've seen in John, as we've studied John for so long, that Jesus, you revealed the Father perfectly and you want to continue to reveal him in and through us. We love you. We thank you that you dwell in us. And now we remember you, Jesus. We will never forget what you've done for us. As long as we live and through eternity, we will never forget. It's all about you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.